ducks in a row, and I make sure that I do tons of study. I mean, I'm saying probably 40, 50 hours of study before I do any teaching. And then I spend tons of time just in prayer. So I do all this stuff, and then I do my slides, and I do everything and make sure, and then I actually teach it several times to my dogs, who are actually very spiritual. So they're, they're amazing dogs. So here's the thing. So I go and I look at my notes this morning, a few minutes ago, and my page one is missing. I have no idea what was on page one, but it's gone. <laughs> so I just felt like, oh God, you are so funny, because my nightmare is getting up here and not being prepared. My, actually, my biggest fear is getting up here and God not showing up. That's much worse, much worse. So, Father, I just ask you that you be with me, that, um, Father, whatever was on that first page, if you want it said, you need to bring it to my memory. And thank God that's something the Holy Spirit does really well. I just give you this time, Father, that unless you give us something, we don't get it. And so I really ask that you prepare our hearts, mine, mine also, and that we would hear what your word is today. Amen. Well, um, we're doing a series. We're right in the middle of the walk, um, radical followers of Jesus. And Bruce kicked it off by talking about loving our enemies. And then Nick did a, um, both you did a great job too, but Nick did a fantastic job last week on living a lifestyle of giving. And um, I got some good, I got at least one great testimony on that. So we have to, we have to get that person up here soon. But um, anyway, I decided when I looked over the verses, I decided that I would pick one that just jumped out at me and I just love the idea and it's a great idea. And I thought it would be a piece of cake for me. Well, after taking 48 pages of notes on mercy and reading all the different translations, I got more and more into the complexity of mercy and how undeserving we are of it, and where does justice fit in, And because God is a God of mercy and justice. And I found, I had to cry out to God and say, well, unless we're going to be here for several days talking about mercy, there are 269 verses on mercy. And so I just had to wheedle it down and wheedle it down in prayer and find out what God wanted. So I'm just going to give you a taste today, just a taste of it. You're only going to be here a half hour, not several days. But I, these are the Luke and Luke, and we're studying Luke right now. This is the verse. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. And then the other one, I went over to Matthew, and it's kind of the same verse, but it says, Blessed are the merciful because they will, be, they will be shown mercy, as if they will receive mercy. A little bit different, but the same, same idea. So, let's look, first of all, we know, I don't think I need to prove to you, first of all, I want to say that I think our church is one of the most merciful churches that I've ever been in. It's true. I mean, honestly, I get to, I get to see the people who are really struggling and, you know, quite honestly, sinning, and how the people here treat them. And 
I am amazed. I mean, honestly, I don't mean this in a braggy way, but you are very merciful people. And I think, you know, it's mercy that changes the world. It's mercy. It's not judgment. It's mercy. And I've seen that with you over and over and over again. So this is not a lecture. I mean, sometimes pastors are known for getting up here and kind of slamming it to the people because they pick something that they know that the people need to do, and they're not doing it. That's not what this is. If anything, I'm just broadening your idea of mercy, and I'm hoping just expanding it for you, but I'm not lecturing you on it, okay? So we all know that our Father is merciful, but I just wanted to give you some verses, and I'm going to have to read it up here because I don't have them in front of me. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So that's who God says he is. Then, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So there's God described as full of mercy, rich in mercy. Um, He's the Father of mercies. Ah, what are the others? Um, The God of mercy, and his mercy lasts forever. So that's who God is in a nutshell. And if you want to read the 260-some more verses in the Bible about God being merciful, you may. But there are two main words in the Old Testament and New Testament that means mercy. The first one is rakum. And it's real interesting about this word because out of this word, actually this is the origin of the word womb. So even there, think about, you know, this is driving me nuts because all of you look like you have microphones coming out of your faces. And I like to see your faces. Um, But this word womb, I mean, think about a womb and think about, I mean, think of Caitlin Burton right now who's having a baby at any minute. Think about what Justin and, and Caitlin are thinking about that baby. Tremendous love, right? Tremendous love. And that's at a time where your kids haven't kept you up all night or they haven't, you know, done something terrible. That is pure love at that point. And you have all these dreams about your kid and how great they're going to be. And, and so that is what this word, that's the origin, is womb. So it's, um, it's to love deeply, to feel deep compassion, to tenderly love as parents love the child in, their, in the womb. That's what it means. Um, and the next word is Greek, the Greek word for mercy, elios. Now, it's really interesting because it is a feeling to show kindness or concern towards someone in serious need. 
But it isn't just an emotion, it's an action. And there is no such thing in the Greek as having, with this word eleos, of having a feeling without it being attached to an action which helps the person get out of the cause of their need. Okay? So if you are merciful, you think, if you think you're merciful, and you see somebody in need, but you don't do anything about it, then you're something, but you're not, maybe you're a kind person or a caring person, but you're not merciful. Merciful in scripture is connected to an action. Um, So do you get that? It's really important that you understand that. Mercy, especially mercy, is giving something to someone who doesn't deserve it. That's really important. Because I think, you know, as, as Americans, we've been taught to be rugged individuals. And if you break the rules, you get, you get what you deserve. You know, that is very much our society, right? You get what you deserve. And merciful is just the opposite of that. You get what you don't deserve. That's what God does for us. He gives us what we don't deserve. Just quickly, I'm going to go through a few scenes of Jesus as merciful. He was constantly showing mercy. And of course, we know that he healed thousands of people, and he was always ready to heal people. But he was also really concerned about other kinds of physical needs. Okay, you see in the um, top, the fishes and the loaves? It says right in Scripture that here he'd given great teachings to the people um, to the people there on the, I don't know if they were in the hill then or in the valley, but they were somewhere. And, um, and then what happens? Jesus says, I'm so concerned for them because they haven't eaten. And they could faint. They could pass out because they haven't eaten. And so he wants to do something to feed them. He cares about their food. And you know the story. He gets the loaves and the fishes and he divides it up among the people and feeds everybody. The woman given adultery, that is an incredible story if you get into actually what that says. The woman, there's no doubt the woman sinned. She was caught in adultery. There's no confusion there. She has sinned. But this is how God relates to the world at large. Jesus isn't offended. Do you realize that? He's not offended by her sin. He doesn't deny it because he tells her to go and sin no more. But he's honorable towards her. He's caring towards her. What she did does not affect his reaction. I think that's amazing because I would at least like to give a lecture. Seriously, I'm a mom, right? And I was a teacher. We like to lecture. And, you know, the one thing I always said to my kids and say to my grandkids when they say they're sorry, I said, what are you sorry for? (laughs) Jesus didn't do any of that. He just acknowledged the sin, and after saving her life, he said, go and sin no more. Isn't that an interesting way to deal with sin? Um, And then finally, oh, no, 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 go back. Thank you. Um, Jesus, I don't know if you can tell there, he's crying. 
This is, you remember when he looks over Jerusalem, this is his last week of his life on earth. He looks over, over Jerusalem and he's looking at people that he knows is going to kill him. All right? I mean, he knows that. He knows that ahead of time. He's going to his death. His reaction as he starts walking down into Jerusalem is he stops and looks over Jerusalem, and that's where you get that the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And what he was having is tears of mercy. He was really sad and brokenhearted for all the people who had not received him. That's loving our enemies. So, Let me go to the next one. I want to show you, I mean, as we receive mercy from God, it flows out of us, and then we're merciful to others in amazing ways. Here's some people in Scripture, Abraham, who was called a friend. He was a friend of God, which is an amazing thing to say. Um, He had this nephew, Lot, who got into big trouble. He wanted to settle in Sodom. Well, no, no Jew should have gone to Sodom. I guess he wasn't really Jewish at that point, right, Jeff? Okay. So, well, nobody should be in Sodom, okay? Nobody, okay? Nobody should be in Sodom. And he decides to go to Sodom. And, of course, he gets into big trouble. Some enemy kings come and snatch his whole family and steals them, kidnaps them, and there they are. And so, guess what? Abraham could have said, you know what? They made their own bed. Let them lie in it. You know, I'm not going to endanger my people to rescue that bum. You know, he decided to do this. Why should I get involved? He could have decided to do You know, consequences are consequences. You get what you deserve. He could have done that. Instead, his first reaction was, let's go, people, and save my nephew and his family. That's what he did. Joseph. Joseph was unbelievable. You know his story. You know that he was incredibly abused. Thrown in, plotted, his brothers plotted against him to kill him and threw him in a hole. And then Reuben said, well, let's not kill him. Let's just let our dad think he's dead. But let's just leave him in there and then then get him out and sell him to, you know, into basically slavery. And so that's what he did. I mean, that is abuse. I had it hard with one of my sisters It didn't come anywhere near this, right? But some people have had real abuse situations with family. And so years later, Joseph is now through many, many, many dangers and troubles, and now he's second in the land in power. And his brothers come to him. That was a perfect time to say, hey, consequences are consequences, you know? He could have also pointed out that he had dreamed this early on, And they all bowed down to him, and then he threw him into jail. I mean, that wasn't the whole dream, right? That wasn't actually the dream, but the bowing down was. He could have rubbed it in. He could have done anything at that point, and it would have been considered justice. But what he did was broke down and cried. He just was, he was just overtaken by mercy for his brothers, and he took care of them and gave them land and gave them a place to be. Um, David. David, can you imagine having the man that you considered a dad to you deciding once you became popular that, 
him wanting to kill you? And that happened on many occasions. There was no doubt that Saul wanted to kill David. And yet the two times that David could kill Saul, and David was a mighty warrior at this point. He could have easily killed Saul. But he knew he wanted to honor him and knew that he couldn't do that. And this was the man who had fathered him in many ways. And so he honored him, and he had mercy on him. And finally, Moses. Did you know Moses' sister, Miriam, who took care of him when he was a baby? So there's a real closeness there. At some point, she decides to lead a coup against him. And it's a terrible thing. And how painful for Moses to have his own sister who took care of him lead a coup against him. And God wasn't happy about it, and um, Miriam got leprosy. And Moses was the one who went to God to battle for her health. Moses was the one who did that. He could have easily said, "Ah, she deserves it. She deserves it. So, to respond to human need with action is at the core of mercy. Okay, let's put this in the context of the time, the Roman world. Now, the Roman world considered mercy to be abhorrent. It was weakness. It wasn't at all what you did if you wanted to be successful. It was considered you know, we, we a lot of times in our, our society consider mercy enabling, right? And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to go there in this teaching. There is such a thing as tough love and justice and all that. And you know what? There just isn't time to cover all of it. But God, more than anything, is mercy. And so that's what I'm dealing with today. And so Rome had this idea that if you showed mercy, there was something wrong with you. You can't let people off the hook if you're going to be successful. You have to always make consequences be consequences. You give people what they deserve. But, so you can think, well, that's not how the Jews felt. Well, guess what? One of the things the Pharisees did over and over again was make the laws work for them. Instead of looking at the purpose of the laws, they wanted the laws to make them successful, to make them wealthy. So they used the laws to benefit themselves. For instance, here's one example. Um, I'm not quite sure how they did it. You can talk to Jeff afterwards, who probably understands this a lot better than I do. However, one thing they did was use the, the idea of the tithes, giving the tithes, in such a way that they no longer had to take care of their elderly parents who were in need. That's what they did. That's using, that's using the law of tithing in such a way that it helped them to be financially um, successful, but they didn't take care of their parents. So something was wrong because the purpose of the law was love right? That was the purpose. And something went wrong. Are we any different today? I think we need to be aware of our culture. I think we really do, because I think the message is loud and clear. 
Consequences are consequences. You get what you deserve. Mercy often is considered, mercy often is considered um, not smart. It's considered weak. I want to give you some examples here. Don't be surprised that God's mercy sometimes frustrates people. It's frustrated me sometimes. Think about Jonah. When Jonah um, first got the message from God that he was supposed to bring salvation, the salvation message to the Assyrians, the first thing he did was run 2,400 miles. That's here almost to California. He went a long distance because he wanted to get away from that message. Because the Assyrians had been atrocious. I mean, talk about cruelty. They were probably some of the most cruel people to ever have lived on earth. And, and Jonah just didn't want to have anything to do with it. But then what happens? Jonah gets swallowed by a whale, and then he goes back and he does it. But he doesn't think they're going to get saved. And so then they do. All of Nineveh gets saved. It was incredible. And instead of being happy... What he says was, I knew it. This is why I didn't want to do it to begin with. Because I know you. I know you're merciful. I know you're slow to anger. And I know you'd do this. You would just do this. You'd save my enemies. And he was, he was wanting to die. It was so painful for him to see God be merciful. You know, and that's something we have to think about. You know, if you are going to be merciful, you're going to get some people that are really frustrated with that. Um, It really hurts, when we're merciful, it really hurts the culture that we live in because it's so different from what the culture tells us to do. And that, sadly enough, is also Christian culture. When, when we had decided to um, adopt our youngest child, I got real positive feedback from unbelievers. I mostly got negative from believers. And one, one of our elders at that point, no elders that are elders now, but one of our elders came to Bruce and me and said that if we adopted her, that Bruce and I would divorce. Okay? That's, I mean, love living with that word. You know? And she, and Jenna was hard. She was really hard. Especially that first year, she was really hard. And so, you know, that, ver- that verse, that line that that guy gave me would continually come in my mind, oh God, what have I done? What have I done? You know? It will frustrate some people, and some people won't like it. Um, another example in my own life of that is that when we were pretty young, we still we had a couple of kids at this point, but for some reason, my one of my relatives, um, one of my relatives decided he wanted to give us financial advice, although we hadn't asked for it, and <laughs> and decided to look through our finances. We hadn't asked for money, so it wasn't based on that. And, um, and then he said to us, you, we were poor. And he said, you can't, be, you can't be tithing. You can't be giving offerings. You can't do that. You can't afford doing that. And, you know, we said, well, we're going to. And it actually made him pretty angry. Do you remember that, Bruce? 
made him pretty angry. So don't expect when you're merciful that everybody's going to understand it because you will get tested in that. And I will tell you, adopting Jenna was one of the best things we ever did in our lives. So, you know, you, you do what God is telling you to do. Um, okay, now I've skipped around a lot. Okay, let's go to blessed. The, let's see, what's next? Makarios. Blessed. That word blessed. It means happy, joyful. It means happy are those who are merciful. So when you are merciful, happiness happens. It just, and in this Greek time, it referred to three groups of people in, in this, this culture. It referred to um, the gods. The gods were happy. The gods were blessed. Because they were in another world, and they didn't have the struggles that people have here. The second group of people were the dead. Because, let's face it, the dead were no longer here. So they didn't have the struggles and the problems of the people in the culture. The third group were the wealthy, the elite. Because they were wealthy, and they were in a different group. So they also didn't have the problems and the the struggles of the normal people. So those were the three groups called blessed. It was a normal word used for those three groups. And here Jesus comes out and says, you know what? You think these three groups are blessed. You know who's blessed? The merciful. Do you see how he's flip-flopping? And he's saying, these, the merciful, the tender-hearted, are the ones who are really really blessed. You know, I have a friend, and I have her permission to talk about this. I have a friend who I met with a couple weeks ago, and she's had some really horrendous things happen to her, mainly done by one person. And it's, it's been horrible, and if I told you, you went, oh, you would go, oh my, that's terrible. It was terrible. And she was talking to me, and she said, and this is a woman who loves the Lord. She reads the scripture a lot. She's really, you know, really into um, knowing the Lord. And she said to me, I can't forgive this woman. I can't do it, and I can't see myself ever doing it. Well, what happened was, you know, we just kept talking, and then in the middle of the night, I woke up. And I saw a picture of her saying that, and I felt God saying, that is absolutely the truth. She can't do it. That is the first step. You can't do it. You can't forgive. And, you know, there's a scripture, I think it's John 3.27, I think it is, that says that no one receives anything unless the God of heaven gives it to them. The first step is saying you can't do it. And so um, I was really excited about that. I felt I'd found a key. And, I, and God reminded me of I used to be extremely, extremely bitter about my dad and mom. And, um, and, for, and one story, you know, you have these like stories you choose. And there was this one story that really showed me my, that my parents didn't love me. And um, I was, when I was born, some of you know this story, when I was born, I was 28 ounces. I was born at five and a half months. And my parents were told that I was going to die, and so they went on. Their reaction to that was to go on a European vacation for a month. And I felt like 
Who does that? Who does that? And, um, you know, as, I, as my life went on and I got cared for um, a nanny and, and there seemed to be a good bit of distance between me and my parents, you know, that was the story that I was so bitter about. No, you know what? They thought it was a great story. I, it, was, it was one of the family stories. Oh, guess what we did after, you know, with, with my first name in the... <laughs> um, so, anyway... I couldn't forgive them. I just couldn't. And every time I tried, I went through into a wall. So one day I asked for some inner healing from people. Um, I don't even know who was with me. And actually, whatever they said, I don't remember. But what happened during the time was I saw a picture of, of this wonderful, smiling, big black woman holding me in the hospital. And then I felt God say, I got rid of your parents for that time so that you could be loved the way I wanted you to be loved. And you know what? That changed everything. (laughs) That absolutely changed everything. And the thing is, before that, I had told God that I couldn't forgive, that he had to do it for me because I couldn't do it. And from that day on, I was really glad when my parents were gone because I had a nanny who really loved me. You know, it changed everything. It changed everything. And I was able to let them go and be, them, be who they were, and I could love them, truthfully. Um, let's see, do I have time for one more story here? Here's a great story. I love Corey Ten Boom. You know, one time I was a little girl, and I was at some, some mission plate party, and at the end... At the end of the dinner, you picked up your plate, and underneath was taped a name. So I, t- I did that at the end, and it said Corey Ten Boom. At the end, this is before she was famous. This was in the 50s. So, you know, I was like, wow. From that day on, I prayed for her. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't even know the Lord. But I prayed for her every single day, because that's what we were supposed to do. And so then later she became famous, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the lady. So I love stories about her. As you, as you probably know, she was in a concentration camp in Ravensbrück where her sister Betsy died. Um, you talk about forgiving. That is huge. And so this is what she wrote. She was out of, this is, the war's over. This is years, I think it's 70 years later, or I didn't, I didn't see it in this this passage, but I think it was 70 years later that this happened. She was in a church service. It was in a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, the pain on my sister's face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people of the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man, Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Do you see that? 
She couldn't do it. There's the key. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I can't forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder all along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. Do you hear that? I want you to understand this, and I'm not scientific, so bear with me, but there's a Newton's law that says that, when I better read it, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. Okay, you know that. I'm sure you learned it in school, even if you can't remember it like I couldn't. Okay? God has placed within our universe laws. They happened way before Adam and Eve were put in the garden. He put laws in place, spiritual laws and physical laws. For instance, you and I both know that if I jump off a cliff, gravity's going to take me down. We all know that. That's why we don't jump off cliffs, right? So, but God has also put spiritual laws and one of two of them are sowing and reaping, that what you sow, you will reap. And there's also another law, the law of increase. And do I have those verses up there? Yeah. Give, oh, and in Luke, it's interesting, right after the merciful verse, this is sowing and reaping too. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Let's see if I can find that here. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. See, give and it'll be given to you. It's the same, same principle. But this one says, you give, it'll be given to you, and then it flows over into your lap. Do you see how it increases? Um, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a principle. It's not like someone's mean to me, and then I'm mean back, and God has done that. Do you understand? It's a principle, a law that's put in there. We all know that law. Like when I get up and I'm grumpy and I snip at Bruce, his feelings will get hurt and he'll, he'll snip back at me, but I guarantee you it'll be more forceful than what I gave him, right? And then, guess what? We've got war because my, my coming back at him then, because I'm hurt, will be even more forceful. That is, but it wasn't meant to be that way. The way God, when he put it together, the way he did it was to bless us. If I do something good to you, you do something more for me, then I do something more for you and you do something more for me. That is the idea that God put into place. We messed it up by bringing sin into it. But a law is a law and it works both ways. So please understand that. Now, the second thing I want you to understand, that when Jesus says, be merciful as your father is merciful, he's not giving a rule. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not for you, 
to say, I can obey rules. Do you see? It's not a rule book. What he's saying is he's describing what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like if you become part of the kingdom. And sometimes it's a process, but as soon as we say in any area, you know, say this thing with my dad. I really grappled on that with my dad and mom. But what I do when I have a hard time forgiving someone, and it's happened since, I'm sure it's happened to you, um, I go and I get the verses and I, I do what I call tuck myself into them. And I meditate on them and meditate them. I, sometimes I put little cards and do little cards for myself. I go, you know, I'll go and I'll walk and I'll pray. And I'll say, God, I forgive this person. Please help me in that unforgiveness. Because I know I can't do it. And then I wait for God to do it. Do you see? Do you see how it's not a rule book? Do you see, as kingdom people, we don't think we can do it. We don't suddenly become Christians, and now we can do it. We become believers, and we know our daddy is the one we run to when we have problems. That's what we know. And so we run to God, and we ask him, please, daddy, I can't do this. I can't forgive this person. I can't do this. Can you do it for me? And then like little children, we go off and play. And we let him work it in us. I guarantee you, if you tell God that you can't forgive someone, and please, would he do it? He loves those kind of prayers. He will do it. He will do it. I promise you that. We just have to be willing to let, let mercy Because God will always be merciful, and sometimes we don't want those people to have mercy. And so we have to be willing to let that go and say, God, build that into me. Make me a merciful, merciful person. You know, the mercy, if you decide, if you want to be more of a merciful person, you will find that one of the things God does is destroy categories. There's no such thing as a person in and a person out. There's no such thing as, uh, as black, as Asian, as Native American, as white, as men and women. Um, you will, and born or unborn. There are no more categories. You love. You love. And you see everyone as a person. Everyone. You're also kind to animals, too. I'll put that in there. Um, but, you know, we move towards, we move, we move towards mercy. My friend is going to be okay because she's taken the first step. She's not running 2,400 miles away. She's taken the first step and asked God the Father to make her merciful towards this one person. And now God, it's in God's hands. He will do it. She doesn't need to worry about that any longer, and she will make it because God has grace for that. So if you, during Christmas, sometimes what happens is you meet people that you don't like, right? <laughs> that you, and except that they're family, you probably would never be with them. I've heard people say that over and over again. You know, you can't choose your family, Right? But God has called us all to be merciful people. And if you ask God this Christmas season 
to show you who to have mercy on. And he will do it. I promise you, he will do it. So, let's just pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are a merciful God. We just take in, we receive that mercy, and we say, let it flow out from us. That as we receive that mercy and we receive it more and more and more, that that mercy will just flow out, flow out, flow out. Let it go to all people. Whether it's in our economic class, our race, ethnic group, our state, um, young and old. Father, all the categories that that we people come up with. Let our mercy and grace flow out of us because we have received from you, Lord. We are eternally grateful for the mercy that you have. You are a good God, and we are grateful. Amen.